0: Hey, good morning. So I have to admit, I thought um, when he announced the concert that I heard Adele and kind of stopped there. And I was like, oh my word, they've been doing really well. So if you're too um, young to know who Adele is, um, ask your parents. If you're too old, ask probably anyone like around the age of 21, they should let you know, um, but she's famous. So, anyway, I'm sure the concert will be great. I'm sure it'll be very, very good. It makes more sense than having Adele play concert here. Hey, so thanks so much for having me. Uh, it is my third time at Liberty Harrisburg, although previously you had been in the Elks Lodge. This is the first time I've been at this new space. So I do miss the three elk, the Trinity of Elk, That were uh, like surrounding the room, which is a really cool liturgical thing to be a part of. Uh, But at this point, uh, this seems like a a really great space for worship and mission, and it's really fantastic. So a little bit about me. Uh, Again, yeah, I am um, leading the efforts to plant a church in Northeast Philadelphia where I was born and raised. My wife was born and raised there. We're kind of ingrained there. We live there, my wife and my four children. Uh, I have a daughter who's nine. Son who's seven, a son who's three, and a daughter who's five months. So I'm extremely busy, but I found time to come out here today and hang out with you guys. And I also serve at Liberty Fairmount, which is near the Art Museum in Philadelphia, as their Community Life and Operations Manager. So those are kind of like the two hats I wear. So again, like I have a lot of, I have a number of kids, um, and I have like essentially two jobs. So it's a busy, busy time. But it's really great to be here with you guys today. Um, and as always, Steve Huber, who's the director of our network, he sends his love to you guys. We really love Liberty Harrisburg. I hope you know that. That Liberty Harrisburg, even though you guys are a little out of range the, from the Philadelphia area, um, we speak really highly of you. We love Matt. We love what's going on here, and we're happy that he gets a vacation, and I can be here to do that. So, hey, today we're actually going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, everyone's favorite Sunday morning passage to talk about. Uh, it was interesting this morning. I was taking an Uber to 30th Street Station so I could take a train out here, and my limo driver asked me what I do for a living. I said, hey, yeah, I'm a pastor. Oh, that's really cool. What are you going to Harrisburg for? I said, well, actually, I'm going to Liberty, Harrisburg. It's one of the churches uh, that we're a part of, um, and I'm going to go preach. And he goes, hey, so what are you preaching on? <laughs> and I go, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's like, what's that about? And so we'll find out today, Uh, but I got to talk to him a little bit and actually got to share uh, the good news of Jesus with him as I hope to do this morning with you. So if you have your Bibles uh, or a smartphone, please turn to Genesis 19. There's some Bibles in the chairs around and we'll be sharing or I'll be sharing with you about what it means for God to be both the judge and as the gospel shows us, he's also the one who is judged. The one who does the judging of this legendary city is also the one who is judged on our behalf in Jesus Christ. And if you're visiting or you're new here today and you're just kind of checking this Jesus thing out, we welcome you. Uh, Please, Liberty Harrisburg, any church of Liberty Network would welcome your input, your uh, feedback, any of your questions, and we're just really, really grateful that you're here today. It takes a lot of guts to visit a church, and so we want to recognize you for that. And I'd still like you, though, to listen to this passage, and let me just say for many of us, and maybe some people here today, I am very, very aware how this passage has been misused to hurt people. I'm very aware that it's been used to treat other people as bigger sinners than ourselves and to shell out unjust anger towards others. And I hope to show all of us here today that this passage applies to everyone and to point that the point of this passage is not the sin in this passage, but the grace that God gives each and every one of us who deserve far worse. But before we dive in, let me pray. Father, we are grateful for who you are and what you have done for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, as we approach these words, may we approach them with reverence, knowing that we are approaching the very words of the God of the universe. But you, the God of the universe, also desire to call each and every one of us your friends, your family members, your sons and daughters. And may you use what I say today, Lord, to not only hit us in our minds, but hit our hearts. And may we in turn love Jesus more because of what he has done. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. This, me- this week, my son, Evan, all right. so I also have a son named Evan, asked me to watch the movie, Pirates of the Caribbean with him. So any fans of Pirates of the Caribbean? Just the first one, okay? All right, cool. So this would be the second time we tried to watch the first movie in the series. The first time we did was about six months ago, and he got to a point, and he got a little scared and asked me to turn it off. So I reminded him about that time, but he said he wanted to give it another go. So I loaded up Netflix, and we start the movie. And somewhere between, like, the pirate with the one eye who, like, pops his wooden eye into his eyeball socket and the cursed skeleton-like pirates, Evan determined that it, again, was a little too scary to finish. So we turned it off roughly at the same place we did last time. And he actually, funny thing is, he actually watches it over and over again, but he just watches the part until he gets scared and then he turns it off. And other times we've watched movies together, I've taken the parental liberty to kindly ask him to like close his eyes, right, to keep him from seeing anything too scary or anything I would deem inappropriate for a seven-year-old to see. Or I'll fast-forward parts that, or does anybody fast-forward anymore? I skip parts that I don't want to deal with because they're either too scary and they might cause nightmares, Or I just don't want to have that conversation yet, if you know what I mean. And many of us who have gone to church for some time now treat the story of Sodom and Gomorrah the same way, don't we? We love Genesis 1 through 18. Like, that's fantastic. And we're like, oh, Genesis 19. It paints a little too scary picture of God. Or it's the citizens of Sodom, their desires are too inappropriate. So we don't want to have that conversation if we were to keep this story in our children's storybook Bible. Or we're embarrassed by it, right? We really hope our atheist friends don't ask us about this story. And so we skip over it. And mostly, I think we skip over it because in our cultural moment, we don't like judgment. If there's a God who can judge a city for its wickedness, that seems like a really big task. There must also be a God who can judge me for mine. And we'll even say or hear things like this, Well, I can't believe in a God who could judge others. I believe in a God of love. And I would like to argue with you today that we do want a God who judges. Because a God who judges is a loving God because he's a just God. Let me say that again. A God who judges is a loving God because he's a just God. So imagine you are me. And instead of preaching to Liberty Harrisburg with these nice comfy seats and these nice lights and the nice, the nice beautiful carpet, which probably took like 30 committees to figure out, right? You're preaching to a people group that have just experienced ethnic cleansing of their ethnicity in their country. Your villages have been wiped out, family members killed before your eyes, women you love being publicly shamed and sexually assaulted, and children you know sold into slavery. And as much as we all want to be more evolved than that, in those moments, people including you and me want a God who judges sin. Because a loving God who ignores evil is not a loving God. because God must be just. And part of being loving is being just, right? Parents know that. Part of being loving is also to be just. And what we see from the Bible is that the Christian God is a loving God and he's as loving as he is just. So, let's jump into the story. Genesis 19 The first few verses, what we see is these two angels, they appear as men, come to Sodom in the evening, and they meet Lot at the gate of the city. And Lot invites them, as is customary in those days for travelers, back to his house to eat and stay the night. And after some back and forth, the angels finally agree. And so we pick up in verse 4. But before they lay down... That's Lot, these angels and people in Lot's house. The men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called out to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, brothers, Do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn. So you don't need to be a Bible scholar to figure out what's going on here, right? Lot is clearly the only one in the city who cares about showing hospitality to strangers. And the way the people of Sodom greet strangers is by their desire to gang rape these men. Now, it's a tough word. I know we have to talk about it. It's in the Bible, so that's what's happening here. And in the most the most morally bankrupt argument of all time, the most morally bankrupt persuasion tactic, tactic of all time, Lot offers his daughters to be raped by the people of Sodom so the two visitors won't be. It's got to be the worst argument of all time. What kind of moral decay must have been happening in Sodom and Lot's own heart that Lot would think it would be better to offer his daughters to be assaulted by these men than for the visitors to be? What kind of sick person, what kind of failure as a dad must you be to think that this would possibly be a good idea? I have two daughters. This infuriates me. How could you possibly think this is a good idea? And as the story shows, the people of Sodom react poorly to Lot's judgment over them. Because Lot himself, he may not be as immoral as the people of Sodom, but he's definitely not righteous. And so we continue. Then the men, the angels, said to Lot, but he seemed to his son's-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. I don't know how many of you play video games. All right? You probably didn't come to church to hear about video games, but here you go. Back in the early release of the Xbox 360 came a legendary hardware hardware failure called, anyone? The Red Ring of Death. So to sum it up in the most simple of terms, it just means that your Xbox 360 won't work anymore. You'll be playing Halo with your buddies, and then all of a sudden, the ring-shaped power button starts blinking red. Microsoft realized, actually, that this was an issue. Microsoft's the creators of the Xbox. They realized this was an issue, so they allowed anyone who was getting the Red Ring of Death within a certain time frame to send it back and get a new Xbox 360. Now, I don't know if you're like me, and maybe it's because I'm a millennial, or I don't know what other things it may be. I hate talking to people on the phone. I hate it. i much rather text people... And maybe I'll email you, but I hate talking to people on the phone. So I delayed, and delayed, and delayed the call. Because I don't want to call anyone. I hate calling anyone, and I especially hate calling Microsoft. Finally, I called, finally got around to it. I called, and I was told I missed a deadline by three days. So they could no longer honor the original offer to replace my Xbox. And so my lingering, my delaying, cost me 300 bucks. But here's the deal from what we just read. Lot is so morally unconvincing, he can't get his own sons-in-law to leave the city. He has no moral standing He's not righteous, but worse, he lingers. The man knows that God, the God he claims he serves and loves, is going to destroy the city, and he lingers. My lingering cost me 300 bucks. Lot's lingering will cost him his life. And if you know the volcano is about to erupt, in your town. You don't linger around and make sure you have your mixtape from your 10th grade girlfriend with you before you leave. You get out of there. You leave. And I can just hear myself saying, Lot, don't linger. Get out. But if I'm honest, and you're honest, We do the same when it comes to our own sin. I sit with my sin. I delay. I linger. God cries out to me, Evan, get out. Stop doing that. But we linger. And by doing so, you and I are just as bad as Lot. You know you shouldn't stay up late at night while you're, when your wife goes to bed because you'll be tempted to fill your sexual appetite with things online. And you feel it. You feel the prompting to go to bed with your wife, but you linger. You know you shouldn't hang out with those friends because you'll end up drinking too much. And you get a text message to go out on Friday night And you know, I mean, you have an iPhone, it will give you answers right away. You just have to click it. You just could say no, but you linger. Or you know that God has been pulling at your heart to believe in him and wants you to leave your life of sin behind to follow Jesus in this life and to be with him in the next. But you know someone in your family will make fun of you, so you linger. And if I read this passage and I think that I am better than Lot, I've missed the point. We all like to read these passages and believe we're Abraham, or we would have gotten out of the city, we wouldn't have lingered. But if we're honest, we are exactly like Lot. We would linger too. And so we continue. So the men, verse 16 angels, they seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And they brought them out and one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley except to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said, as Lot likes to do. Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. And if I'm like, I just picture myself as one of the angels going like, do one of these numbers, like, oh my gosh, not again. It's a total SMH moment, right? If you don't know what that is, ask somebody around the age of 21 or younger. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground but Lot's wife. Behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And here, amongst the sulfur and fire falling from heaven, i like to point out two things. First, to say Lot's wife looked back in the ancient days is a way of saying she actually turned back to go to Sodom. And this is another example that Lot is so morally unconvincing that his wife abandons the escape and turns back. Lot fails to be the spiritual head of his home so much so that his wife would rather go back, it's comical, would rather go back to a place she knows will be destroyed than to follow his lead. She goes back to Sodom. Let me take this moment to just address husbands and fathers in here for a second. The story of Lot should encourage us to be the spiritual leaders of our families, so when the time comes to lead, we aren't so morally unconvincing that no one will follow us. Dads, if you don't make church a priority, neither will your kids, Our lives reflect what we deem to be important. If we expect our wives to drag our kids to church so we can do whatever we believe is more important, we should not be surprised that when push comes to shove and we desire to finally be the spiritual leaders of our homes if our kids don't follow suit. If we don't care about serving at church, why would our kids if we don't love their mom and show her respect even when mom's not around, then why would our kids do that? We fathers and husbands must repent of our moral failures and ask God to give us grace to lead. Take ownership of our churches. Take ownership of our families. Take ownership of our homes. Invest. Be present. Otherwise, we will be just as morally unconvincing to our families as Lot was to his. But for all of us who follow Jesus too, don't be so morally and spiritually unconvincing that no one takes your faith seriously. The world, and I mean this, and I talk to people who have been just beat up by the church. The world for too long has seen Christians live spiritually, morally bankrupt lives and then have the audacity to tell the world how to live. And that is not going to work anymore. We need to have our houses in order and our hearts in order for the world to actually see Jesus and want to follow him too. And the second thing, and the more important thing to note from what we just read, is right before Lot's wife turns back, grace is given to Lot and his family. The angels actually have to grab them by the hand, and they drag them out of the city so they might live. Lot lingers, but God saves. Even though his wife turns back, even though Lot's lingering, even though his sons-in-law think he is foolish, even in the wickedness and evil of Sodom, in the midst of fire and sulfur falling from heaven, in the middle of all of this mess, God is still gracious. God is still Merciful. Lot is a blundering, sinful failure of a husband and father. But God still chooses to save him. But why does he do that? As the story continues, Abraham, he comes out in the morning with his coffee and his newspaper. And he looks out. That's where Sodom would be, and he sees smoke rising in the distance. And the author of Genesis says this in verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, here it is, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Why did God choose to save Lot, why did God choose to save a man who in sports terms would be the last pick in the draft? Because God remembered the promises he made to Abraham. So God chose to save Lot, not because of anything Lot did, but because God in his grace promised to save those who are part of Abraham's family. And fast forward several generations, hundreds of years after Abraham and Lot are long gone, we see another man from heaven who comes to the gates of earth. He spends time amongst humanity, sees their sin, and he goes out of the city of Jerusalem alone to save not one family, but all humanity. We see Jesus, a son of Abraham and the Son of God, carrying a cross and dragging your and my sin with him to Golgotha and dying for us so that we might be saved as part of Abraham's family. As Paul says, so that we can be heirs to the promises God made to Abraham. In the middle of this story in Genesis, a story filled with evil, sin, failure, and ultimately God's judgment. We see a picture of God's grace that points us to this truth. God does not ignore evil, He judges it. But here's the good news. Here's the good news, Liberty Harrisburg Jesus was judged, so you don't have to be. The fire and power of God's wrath is unleashed not on a city or a valley, not on many men but on one man, Jesus. So that those who believe in Jesus might be free of God's judgment. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah is child's play compared to what God can do. And yet God, the same God who is loving and just when he does ignore evil, moves his sights from you and me and he unleashes his wrath he unleashes his wrath on Jesus. And instead of seeing fire and sulfur rain upon our own heads, you and I are able to stand safely as part of God's family, remembered by God because of what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Father, I will admit that I am often very good at lingering. I'm often morally unconvincing. I'm often a failure in the way I follow you. My heart is oftentimes not in the right place. And I miss the mark. But I thank you for loving me anyway. I thank you that the wrath that you poured, you poured out on sin. I thank you that it was on Jesus and not me. And I pray for everyone here in this room, everyone who is here at Liberty Harrisburg today, that we would resonate with that, that this would sink into our hearts, that Jesus bore your wrath on the cross so that we might live so that we might be able to call you Father, so that we might be part of your family. Lord, I pray your blessing on Liberty Harrisburg. I pray that Matt and his family get some well, well-deserved rest. I pray that you would take this space and continue to grow it numerically, but also spiritually, and this would be a place that people point to and say, hey, that place is different. That liberty—they have a funny name, it's spelled weird—but they're different. There's something different about them, and I pray that we would draw Jesus. I mean, we would draw people to Jesus.